who just chanted these words. God heals humanity's broken heart. And in Jesus Christ, He binds up our wounds. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. In 2003, a man named Aaron Ralston decided to go hiking in the mountains of Utah. And at one point during his hike, the ground beneath his feet began to move. Never a good sign. And suddenly, Aaron fell down into a crevice. In a matter of seconds, this luxurious uh, weekend hiking trip became an absolute nightmare because it was in the midst of his fall into the crevice that the boulder upon which he was standing, this enormous boulder, tumbled down into the crevice after him, and it actually it wedged his arm up against a rock wall. And uh, try as he might, in a matter of minutes, he realized, I'm not getting out of this. I'm stuck. Uh, unfortunately, he, he had made the hiking trip alone. He, he didn't tell anybody where he was going. Um, so how would, how would they even know where to look? You know, he, he wasn't going to ask someone to come find him. As Aaron's true story goes, he waited for five days. He finished the last of his water. He finished the last of his food. And then he, he carved his name in the rock wall, and he just, he just waited to die. Now, um, Aaron's story was made into a movie a few years back, so some of you already know how the story ends. And I'll try to be as courteous as possible in this beautiful cathedral. But do you know what he did? He was so desperately stuck that he surmised the only way out of this to save his life was to amputate his own arm. And that's exactly what he did. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian gospel is that you and I, in fact, the whole world, have all found ourselves in Aaron's tragic circumstance. Our sin, the sin of others, just natural disasters, tragedies, have all wedged our souls up against a rock wall from which in, in and of ourselves we will never escape. The difference though, the difference in Aaron's escape where he takes his arm off and the Christian gospel is this, that Jesus Christ has been amputated that we might be set free. Jesus Christ has been cut, crucified, that we might be made whole. Jesus Christ has been separated from God the Father so that unlike Aaron, you and I don't have to amputate ourselves to find freedom for our souls. In the words of Isaiah 53, which we say a lot in the upcoming season of Lent and Easter, upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, right? Remember those words? And with his stripes, we were healed, healed. I think that this is exactly the message that Jesus announced in our gospel reading today, that the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed, all the Aaron Ralstons in the world have been lifted up out of their crevices, set free from their boulders, restored and healed 
without a scratch because of Jesus. You know, theologians have pointed out that the passage we read from Luke today, there's there's a lot of disagreement because it seems like as you're reading the story of Jesus in Luke's gospel, this whole sermon in Nazareth that he gave should have been further down the road. So theologians ask, why did, why did Luke take this, this moment in Jesus' life and ministry and, and move it to the front as he was telling his story? Why did he do that? And their attempted guess, their hypothesis is this, that this sermon that we just heard, Jesus proclaiming freedom, sight to the blind, all that, lifting up the lonely, the, the lowly, that this sermon was paradigmatic for Jesus' ministry. It was like a summary of what he would be teaching for the rest of the story of Luke. Now, stay with me. We know that Luke wrote another book from the New Testament. I won't quiz you on this, all right? But it was Acts, the book of Acts. And so, in some ways, you could say, well, I wonder if Acts should be read with Luke, because Luke is about, the gospel of Luke is about Jesus. The Acts of the Apostles is about what Jesus does in his church. Do you see how that works? One, two. It's like one long story. So you could say this, maybe, maybe Jesus' sermon that we read today is not just paradigmatic for Jesus, but it should actually summarize and typify the church's ministry to announce this gospel, freedom for the oppressed, sight to the blind. Do you see how that works? So today is our patronal feast day, the feast of St. Luke. These are the scripture readings that the lectionary has for St. Luke. And I love to think about how this ministry of St. Luke can be continued in our parish, the cathedral church. We, we bear his name after all. And I would say this, that on our paternal feast day, using this gospel passage, we are reminded that it is to this healing gospel that we as a church have been called. Luke was a doctor, did you know that? And also a missionary, a doctor and a missionary. I think that's the church's calling, to heal and then to spread that healing around to the whole world. This is why in the collect that uh, Dean Kidd led us in a few minutes ago, we prayed these words, God graciously continue in your church the work of the healing gospel graciously continue in us that gospel. Tonight, I want us to consider quickly three ways that you and I, as the Cathedral Church of St. Luke, might fulfill this calling. These are ways that God might use us to answer the prayer that we just prayed, and I'll give them to you all at once, and then we'll knock our way right through them. We'll, We'll breeze through them, actually. You won't even know it's happening. Here they are. First, To fulfill this calling, you and I, friends, we must experience for ourselves in worship this healing gospel. We must experience it ourselves. Secondly, we must then embody the gospel to one another here at this parish. I don't know which part's harder, but here's the third thing. After we experience it and embody it with each other, we must extend it beyond the cathedral walls and experience it embody the gospel, and then extend it. Are you ready? Here we go. First, we must experience the gospel for ourselves, and we do that primarily right here, right now in worship. 
When we prayed Psalm 147, when we chanted it a few minutes ago, we praised God for helping the exiles of Israel, for helping the brokenhearted, for helping the wounded. These are direct vocab words. And for helping the lowly, the brokenhearted, the wounded, the lowly. And then when we got to the gospel, remember Jesus named the people that he was going to help. He said, I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to help the captives. I'm going to help the blind people. And I'm going to help the oppressed. This is, as my old seminary professor used to say, this is the only requirement that God has for us in receiving the gospel. You say, whoa, requirement? I thought God's love was unconditional. I think this was a trick of my seminary professor, but he said this, the only requirement for getting the gospel is that you admit that you're these, this kind of person from Psalm 147 or from the gospel of Luke. You have to come with open hands. Lord, I'm blind. Lord, I'm oppressed. Lord, I'm lowly. Lord, I'm wounded. Lord, I'm brokenhearted. And in and, and that moment, you should hear Jesus say, congratulations, you're a perfect candidate for my grace. So when we come to worship, that's what we should walk away with. Not trying to bring stuff to God, but we bring our messed up, broken lives into the presence of Jesus. And he, as he announces in Luke, he heals us. That is the gospel message. Another way to put it is this. If on Sundays each week you come to the cathedral and you find yourself, let's say like me, swooning because of the beauty of the architecture and the stained glass windows and the crucifix, swooning by the beauty and um, overwhelmed by the reverence of prayer and silence, that's me. But if that's, you, if that's you and you fail to get the message that in the midst of the beauty, actually through the beauty, Jesus is grabbing your collar and saying, I love you. You've missed the whole point of worship. If you come to the cathedral as a liturgy nerd, that's also me, and you know all the liturgical moves, all the reverencing, all the hand gestures, all the... I mean, it's, it's fun. I, we are our bodies, so we use them in worship, you know? If you do all of that and somehow in the midst of it, you lose track of the fact that you have been named God's beloved child, then my friend, it's all for naught. If you come to worship heavy-hearted and guilty because of all your many sins from this past week, and then at 7.15 p.m., you leave this property and you feel as guilty as you came, you might, you might have missed the message of worship, which is that Jesus loves you. He forgives you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to be experienced for ourselves in worship first. Second, the gospel must be embodied, embodied to one another. There's a, a, beautiful, a beautiful part of our liturgy in just a few minutes where we're going to confess our sins to God, and then we're going to hear the gospel. Through the priest, God is going to say to us, you are forgiven and I love you. That's experiencing the gospel. And then, do you remember what happens right after that? We kneel for confession, we hear the assurance, and then what happens? 
we offer one another the peace of Christ. Do you see that motion? We get the gospel and then we share it hand to hand with a hug around the neck, maybe a holy kiss if you're lucky. We experience the gospel and then we embody it, and then we embody it. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, was writing to a friend about Christianity, and he, he put it this way, the greatest gift that my friendship can give to you, brother, is the gift of your belovedness. I can give that gift only insofar as I have claimed it for myself. Isn't that what friendship is about, Henry says, giving to each other the gift of our belovedness? I think this is what is happening in our epistle reading today. Um, Paul is near the end of his life, the end of his ministry. He says, the time of my departure has come. I fought the fight, the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then he says this really, he makes this interesting comment. He says, do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. Demas has gone, Crescens has gone, Titus is gone, and only Luke is with me. Whatever the circumstances surrounding these words, I don't quite know what they are, we may conclude at the very least that Luke was a loyal and faithful Christian brother to Paul. So using Nowen's words, Luke and Paul shared the gift of their belovedness with one another. They embodied the gospel to each other. Some of you may know we've been in a real season of change at the cathedral over the past number of months. Um, some in this congregation are weeping, and some are joyful, uh, some are afraid and distrusting of each other, uh, distrusting church leadership, maybe even distrusting God, and I, I get it, I get it. Some are hurt and bitter and angry. I would say if there is ever a time that the, the beloved in Christ at the Cathedral Church of St. Luke shared the gift of their belovedness with one another, it, it's now. It's now. Let us in the name of Jesus Christ and in the legacy of St. Luke apply to one another's wounds the healing balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has lifted us up out of our crevices. He has removed the boulders from our souls. He has made us whole, and we are to share that gift right here with one another. The outside world knows that we are Christians by our, by our love, by our love. Here's the last thing. We must not just experience the gospel in worship and embody it in Christian nurture, but we must extend the gospel beyond the cathedral walls in mission. You know what's really interesting is right after the Luke passage that we read today and the verses that follow, in the context, the Jewish audience try to assassinate Jesus. Yes, you heard that correctly. Jesus gives maybe one of the best sermons of his life. Luke puts it at the front to typify his ministry, and then everyone tries to kill him. I don't know what that means for me as a preacher in the, in the years ahead, um, but that's really what happens. So theologians ask the question, now what is going on there? And then they pose this hypothesis. You know, I, I think that that Jesus was widening the scope of what it means to be the oppressed, of, of who was going to get his gospel. 
In essence, he was saying, it's not just you guys, the insiders, the Jews here in the synagogue. It's, it's the Gentiles. Luke was a Gentile. I can only imagine the particular joy he took in writing this part of his gospel narrative. Oh, what scandal, what surprise. Um, talk about not tickling people's ears in a sermon. Jesus wasn't doing it. I really believe, I really believe in the days ahead of us at the cathedral, uh, we will have opportunities um, to take Jesus' sermons and denounce it to the world. Friends, I think we actually do that even when we walk from here to the harp and the kelp a couple blocks away. I think we'll have opportunities to extend the gospel just even on the sidewalk right out there and at the 1015 service when we greet people in gospel hospitality. Our patronal feast day is a day to remember who we are and who we are called to be as the Cathedral Church of St. Luke. It's a day to remember that we must align ourselves and persevere in the healing gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a people who experience the gospel and worship, who embody it with each other in every facet of our ministry together, and who extend this gospel to the world. And so, it is to this end that we ask, St. Luke, pray for us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.